Let's uh, take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This is our second week of our series. Uh, We could call it Christians and politics, or we could call it Christ and culture. And since I I live in Franklin County, I I had a, a friend of mine say, well, you brought your NATO helmet and your 300 Spartan shield last week because you are in a swing state and you're going to touch on some touchy subjects. So he... He provided me with a uh, with a full-on bulletproof vest. Can we get a hand for that? I tell you what, you you know you are loved by your church when they say, "Well, if you're going to get shot at, at least put one on, right?" So, uh, so thank you. Well, and also he will remain uh, anonymous. But uh, when he gave this to me, explained a little bit about about bulletproof vest and and something that I had heard referenced, but I had not realized is that these things disintegrate. They grow weaker over time. That's why if you go into combat and you use a really old bulletproof vest, it may not be a bulletproof vest if you get hit. And with what we're going to talk about this morning, the question, can a person be a homosexual and a Christian? I began to think about this vest and I said, you know what? The way a lot of Christians approach this question is like... An old bulletproof vest that won't stop bullets anymore. For example, I have known of some people who say, well, I don't agree with homosexuality because I wasn't raised that way. If you weren't raised that way, big deal. You know why? There are some people who are raised that way. In fact, if we could get in a time machine, there would be whole cultures known in the Old Testament called the Canaanites specifically who were raised to have that institutionalized. That's just simply what you did. So saying that I don't agree with it just because I wasn't raised that day is, or that way is merely a form of personal preference. But what we want to do is discard arguments that don't work, that don't really stand up at all. And we want to, as Christians, number one, always our question is, what does the Word of God say? Are y'all awake today? This is our authority. This is where we get our stuff. Now, not only do we ask that question, but when we ask the question, what does God's Word say? We also ask the question, how does God's Word prepare us to respond to this issue within our culture? Now, if you have a bulletin, we have as many notes as we could slam on there. In fact, if you would like more notes that go into more detail, go on our website. They're up right now. If you have a smartphone, you can download it um, in service and it's okay. That's the one time you can use your phone in service. Amen? And you can also, if you got your Bible on there, follow along. That's totally cool. But uh, there's a lot more notes on there. Everything is documented. If you want to go into the genetic uh, argument, uh, the textual argument from the Old Testament, all of that is there for you to study uh, even more. But we want to know what does God's Word say about how to respond to this in our culture. There's a, our driving thought today comes from a man named Bob Stith. He's a Southern Baptist Convention gender issues specialist. We have a commission called the, called the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission that we give money to and they do research on how we best can respond to cultural challenges uh, like what we're going to talk about today. And here's what he says, and I quote, 
We have done a great job of standing firm on the biblical teachings of homosexuality, but we haven't been as effective in helping people walk out of this bondage. Amen? Let me stop right here. What sometimes we do as evangelical Christians that should break our hearts is we stand up and we read a verse of Scripture and we say, this is wrong, and then that's it. Nothing about how to get out of the lifestyle. No redemption from Christ. And what we're going to do here today is, number one, what's the Bible say? How do you get out of it? How should we respond? He continues in his statement, quote, Our attitudes too often have conveyed the impression, get this, that we are more concerned about winning the culture war than we are winning men and women to Christ. This is a case where perception is reality to many people. In fact, many people on the outside look in at a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving church like this, and they think what we stand for is simply to condemn their lifestyle and offer no hope at all. And by the way, if you're a follower of Christ here today and that's your approach to the homosexual community, shame on you. And there's one amen. Because we believe, thank you, got the second there. We believe that Jesus can change anybody. And if you don't believe that Jesus can change anybody, but only certain groups, then your Jesus is very small. And here's the danger. If you come from a very conservative perspective, or whether you are on the left wing of the progressive movement, here's the danger. Look at your, look at your outline, and I wrote it down, I'm gonna read it so that I don't gloss over it. The danger here is of emoting or turning off the rational switch versus thinking and being willing to have true dialogue concerning hot topics such as homosexuality, abortion, and care of the poor. Every single one of us brings presuppositions. We bring our assumptions to this message this morning. So what I want you to do, whether you're very conservative, whether you're very liberal, is resist the temptation to have a knee-jerk reaction that may turn me off at any point. Can we make the agreement to do that together? We've got about 40% that says yes. The rest of y'all let the Spirit of God work on you. Because, once again, you can come from either end of the spectrum or you may be a streamlined moderate. But often when these topics are addressed, we can have immediate responses that will turn us off to actually listening and engaging in dialogue. Here's two extremes that we will avoid that are unbiblical. Number one, passionate yet unwise preachers who use caricature and present the truth without love. Remember the video a few months ago from the pastor in North Carolina? And he said that what we should do with homosexuals is that we should put them basically in concentration camp and drop off food every once in a while. Shame on that kind of preaching. That is not the gospel. That is not the way Jesus, that is not the way the Apostle Paul or any of the disciples addressed this specific sin. If you view homosexuality as a group to be bludgeoned out of the way instead of a group to be reached with the gospel, you need to go and read the gospel again. And let me just say a word here about uh, fanning the flames of hatred. We'll get into the racial issue as well. There are many people who want to fan the racial issue from the, the, we, they say the white perspective or the black perspective or the Hispanic perspective. Any person who calls himself a reverend and who would rather spur you to hate people who don't look like you is not a real reverend. 
Whether he be black, white, Hispanic, Asian, it doesn't matter. A true preacher of the gospel, a true person who loves other people and who's been saved by Jesus, preaches forgiveness, preaches reconciliation through the gospel. So when you listen to the political dialogue and you have someone with a reverend in front of their name, but everything that they speak has to do with unforgiveness and holding on to old resentment, that is not the gospel. And neither is it the gospel to preach that homosexuals cannot be changed. Number two, unbiblical extreme would be a cowardly, liberal preacher who would water down the message in an attempt to be loving. This is a failure to be more concerned about what people think than what people truly need to hear. I pray that I will never be that. And we made disagreement when I came. And just so we can have a little Sunday morning vote, we agreed when I came. That if it ever came to the point in Jeff's life to where he denied the Bible, stopped preaching the Bible, y'all agreed with me, and y'all are people of honor, amen? People of your word. You agreed that if I stood up and said, this is not the word of God, that y'all would have a quick little meeting, and you would give me the proverbial pink slip. Can we reinstate that this morning? You should do that with me, or if this is not your home church, with any pastor who stands up and will deny the Word of God in an attempt to be relevant, and an attempt to be loving. He is not being loving because there is nothing more loving than telling someone the truth in love. So here's a question that some people ask. They say, Jeff, why do we have to talk about these things? Why can't we just focus on what unites us? Well, if you hold the truth in any sense, that truth is going to divide people. For example, if you say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, there's going to be some people who don't agree with that, and that is a point of division. In fact, Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Jesus, whenever the gospel is preached, there's going to be those who hear the gospel and believe, and those who reject the gospel and run. So if we hold the truth in any sense, there's going to be a point of division. Another question, people say, Jeff, aren't we supposed to be tolerant today? Well, being tolerant means that you're willing to have dialogue with the other person without being violent. Being tolerant does not mean that you say every view is true. Because it doesn't even make sense, right? You can't have multiple truths about the same thing when they're conflicting with one another. So we are tolerant. We allow the dialogue. We should sit down with someone at Starbucks and talk about these issues, but it doesn't mean that we're saying that every viewpoint is equal. For example, talk to an atheist. An atheist says there is no God. You as a Christian say there is a God, and he sent his son Jesus Christ. Those two are total opposite claims. They cannot be reconciled. One has to be true, or one has to be false. There's another argument that says the government shouldn't be telling people what to do with their bodies. Well, that's blatantly false. The government, ever since it's been founded, tells us what we can do to a certain extent and what we cannot do. For example, I cannot grab a knife out of my kitchen and run down the street and start murdering people. Can't do it. We have laws against drug use. Could be saying, hold on, Jeff, that's talking about hurting other people. But what about what you do within your own body? There are many things that are illegal for you to put in your own body. The government has a role in being able to preserve society. And what we're not talking about, we're not talking about knocking down the door of homosexuals where we have stormtroopers go in and try to catch them in the act. We'll break that down a little bit more as we go on. But here's a biblical approach from Al Mohler. He says, Christian love requires that we believe and teach the Bible what the Bible teaches, and that we do so 
with both strong conviction and humble hearts. The church must repent of our failures in both of these tasks, but we must not be silent where the Bible speaks. Are Christians hypocrites and in insisting that homosexual behavior is sin? Here's what Mulder said. We too are sinners and hypocrisy and inconsistency are perpetual or continual dangers. Can I get a witness? Hypocrisy lies at the door. Then here's what Muller said. He continues, The church failed miserably in the face of the challenge of divorce. This requires an honest admission and strong corrective. At the same time, this painful lesson must remind us that we must not fail to answer rightly when asked what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. Love requires us to tell the truth. And it may be that we have people here this morning, you are struggling with homosexual desires, you may be, uh, have not expressed that to someone yet, or you may be an openly professed homosexual. If you're listening to this on podcast or on the radio, listen, we want this to come from a restorative position saying that Jesus Christ cares about you and Jesus Christ can change you just like He can change a straight person who's not saved. The question is our people born as homosexuals? How, how many of you have ever heard that referenced or asked, talked about? Are people born with the, the gay gene? So I'm going to walk you through this. Number one, proclivity, or you could use the word tendency, is not determinism. In other words, what we're saying here is that just because we're born with a tendency to do certain things doesn't mean that we are determined to do it. In other words, think of it like this. If there is no God, then we're simply made up of molecules, right? You and I are just different collections of the same molecules. And if there is no God, there is no con- there is no conscience, there is no soul, there is no choice. Or if you want to use, use the word free will, there's none of that. And you and I simply do what we do because of what chemicals we have. If that's true, it is impossible for us to ever tell a person they can change. That means that the person right now who is addicted to alcoholism cannot put the bottle down. We say, sorry, you're just doing what you're doing because you're wired the way that you're wired. A person who may have done something uh, such as pedophilia and they are so sickened by that. What we have to say is, I'm sorry, you did what you did because you were wired the way that you were wired. The man or the woman who has an explosive, unmanageable temper that's destroying their family, they we simply have to say, you're only doing that because you're wired the way that you're wired. There is no hope for change if God does not exist. But the question is, do we have to do what our inclinations tell us to do. Now, let me walk you through this. Our president is for not just civil unions, but uh, full-on, 100% gay marriage. And in having conversations with people, I always want to walk them through the logic. Um, if you support gay marriage, this is what we're saying. We're saying that if you support gay marriage, you must also support, by definition, in a legal sense, polygamy. Heterosexual polygamy. Homosexual polygamy. Polygamy to where you have wives and husbands for yourself. You could have one man and two women or two men and four women. It just doesn't stop, you see. You also would have to legalize 
bestiality, marrying an animal. You would have to legalize incest and even pedophilia. You say, now hold on, Jeff, that's a stretch in logic. I think I caught you in a non-sequitur. No, you did not. If you say that we should open the doors to let whomever marry whomever they quote-unquote love, who are you to place the arbitrary 17- or 18-year-old age restriction on anybody? You say, well, it's one thing to be between consenting adults. No, that's just simply your opinion. Let it sink in. That is simply your opinion. Your cultural view, if you will. We have to say that if we open the door, then it opens the door to everything else. And here's the fallacy. This is gospel. Happiness is not found by pursuing your natural, quote-unquote, desires. Happiness and freedom and joy is found by putting your old sinful desires to death. James chapter 1 and verse 14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire or lust when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There are many people, this is not just within a homosexual community, there are people who will tell you all across this nation, but Jeff, it felt so right. I was not being fulfilled by my husband or my wife. They didn't listen to me. They didn't care about me. But that person at work, it just felt so right because she or he, they listened to me so well. So we went off and we cheated on our spouses. And now our lives have fallen apart. But in the time, it felt so right. Paige Patterson said, feelings are the worst guide to action. Y'all all right with that? Some of us, honestly, some of us would be in jail today if we acted based upon our feelings and our desires. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, fulfillment and joy in life Happiness, so to speak, does not come from us pursuing what simply comes up in our desire or our wanter, but it comes by putting our natural sinful desires to death and receiving the power of God through faith. And God has promised, this is so good, homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, whatever it may be, God has promised through the Gospel to break the chain of sin if we will only come to Him in repentance and faith. And He will give us power over those old desires. You're hooked on any type of sexual sin. You know when you do it, it just causes so much grief and so much heartache. Jesus can come and set you free. The world will tell you, do what makes you happy. But if we do what, quote-unquote, our desires want, it will end in disillusionment and often an early death. There's an article in your outline from Time magazine by a person who, as far as I know, is not even a believer. His name is John Cloud. And the title of the article is this, Epigenetics, DNA, How You Can Change Your Genes, Destiny. If you want to go on to, uh, as President Bush taught us, the Google, and you want to type in epigenetics, uh, epigenetics, it is an absolutely fascinating study. And here's what we're finding from the genetic level, that you are not your DNA. Here's epigenetics in uh, in footnote. By changing your behavior, 
by doing things, by, let's put it in the Christian perspective, by getting saved and following Jesus, you can change your genetic structure to where you will not continue to be predisposed to the things that you were before you changed your behavior. This is not coming from a seminary. This is not coming from beating your Bible Baptist backwoods Bible school. Alright? This is straight up science out of the academy. And it is fascinating what we're finding out with epigenetics. So, when someone says, Jeff, I was born with these desires. Here, here's a statement for you. Okay, If you're struggling with homosexual attraction, here's a statement by William Lane Craig. He says, the most important thing is not how you got your orientation, but what you do with it. You see, I, I heard, heard it put this way many years ago about, about lust. All right? So well, these things that come in my mind, I'm just driving down the road, going to work, and all of a sudden I have a dirty thought. I have something I know that's wrong. What can I do about that? And Billy Graham said, said this. He says, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can do something about them building a nest in your hair. It, it, I mean, that that's it. There's some people who... They say, Jeff, I, I have no idea where these thoughts come from. I don't want to be attracted to, to members of the same gender, but it comes, listen, to the power of God and through biblically. And go, go on the Google, alright? Let's go W for a second. Go on the Google and check out epigenetics. It is fascinating because we can, through behaving differently, we're not talking about getting saved by being good, alright? We all clear on that? We're not talking about stopping bad things and doing good things so that God will love us, but by putting into pattern in your life biblical behavior, you can reorient your DNA or your genetics, so to speak, to where you won't be have the same proclivity or as strong as you once did. It's fascinating, and it's straight out of the Science Academy. But here's what we have to do the rest of this message. First off, we've got to define from God's Word what the Bible says about sexuality. Because you cannot define or you cannot classify something that's wrong until you have the standard. Right? It's kind of like when you grew up in the house and you did something and mom and dad are smacked you and you're like, well, I didn't know this was wrong. You have to have a standard before you can assess what deviates from it. What is biblical sexuality? Go with me to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Some of you may know this if you've been in church by heart. It says, So God created man in His own image, and in the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. Genesis chapter 2 in verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, sex is not something that's dirty. It's not something that Satan created. In fact, it is what God designed. And God designed it for one man, one woman, for life. And fulfillment is found within that, not outside it. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, there must be something first good before it can be spoiled. We call, for example, sadism, a sexual perversion. But you must first have the idea of a normal sexuality before you can talk of its being perverted. You can see which is the perversion because you can explain 
the perverted from the normal and cannot explain the normal from the perverted. So, for us simply to walk up to someone and say homosexuality is wrong when they may think that it's simply an issue of whatever you want it to be, it's not going to make sense. But if we understand that it's God who's the one who designed it, God's the one who set it up within marriage, it gives us a reference point. So here's the big question. Is homosexuality a sin? Let's look at some scriptures. Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. Um, you may be familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. There are some uh, translators, uh, modern day, who would be uh, within uh, the gay or the lesbian bisexual community who are, are, are attempting, and I'm trying to be very gracious here, who are attempting to reinterpret uh, Genesis to say that it was because Sodom and Gomorrah were not hospitable. Um, that if you do if you do your Bible study and your exegesis that way, uh, you're never going to understand the Bible. The reason why Sodom and Gomorrah were judged in that fashion is because a prevalent militant type of homosexuality to the extent that the men of the city surrounded Lot's house. And this is something as a guy, I'm not married, I don't have children, but I can't even conceive of. Lot was willing to give up his daughters to this horde of perverted men instead of give up the men who were staying with him, the two angels. We know what happened. They struck the men with blindness. And remember, Abraham says, God, let me make you a deal. If there are 50 people in the city who are righteous who still follow you, will you abstain from judgment? Went all the way down to like 10. And they couldn't even find 10 people in the city. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah for a rampant, militant type of homosexuality. Genesis, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20, 13 says, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged uh, natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. This is where lesbianism is mentioned uh, in the Bible because some people say that it's not. Verse 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed, check out this picture, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Homosexual acts in the Bible are sin. Then I've heard the question before people say, now Jeff, I've heard that Jesus never uh, spoke against homosexuality. Is that true? Well, in order to answer that question, we have to understand who was Jesus preaching to. Jesus' disciples, virtually all of his audience, they were Jews. It was first century Palestine in the area of Jerusalem and the outskirts. And if you were a Jew in first century Palestine, you believed that the Old Testament was the Word of God. So the fact that the, that homosexuality would be considered a viable lifestyle for them was not, didn't even come into question. Jesus held to the Old Testament as being absolutely authoritative from God. In fact, Jesus says, I came not to destroy the law, but what? Help me out, church, to Fulfill it. That's what Jesus came to do. So we can say, very simply, number one, Jesus didn't need to address homosexuality directly because the Jewish audience already considered it to be far outside 
the bounds of biblical sexual morality. Number two, we know that Jesus believed absolutely that the Old Testament was the Word of God. Therefore, Jesus' belief in the Old Testament carries with it the Old Testament ban against homosexual acts. And then somebody else will say, now Jeff, hold on, are Christians being consistent with how they interpret the Old Testament? Because we don't sacrifice animals now like we did in the Old Testament. Let me give you a statement from Tim Keller who says this. The coming of Christ changed how we worship, but not how we live. When Jesus came to die on the cross, He did not destroy the validity of the Ten Commandments. Jesus did not destroy the law, but He fulfilled the ceremonial aspects of the law, which is why we no longer have to sacrifice animals because Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins. So, things in the Old Testament like don't be involved in witchcraft. Uh, Don't be involved in things like necromancy and trying to talk to the dead. Don't be involved with homosexual acts. Don't worship idols. All of that carries over into the New Testament as well. But here's something that has been very helpful for me, is the difference between homosexual temptations and homosexual acts themselves. The question, can a person be a homosexual and a Christian? You cannot be a practicing homosexual and be a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ. Neither can you be a practicing adulterer, fornicator, child molester, murderer, Thief, liar, blasphemer, idolater, swindler, a covetous person, a gossip, a liar. But you can be a follower of Jesus Christ with temptations. Let it sink in. You can be a follower of Jesus Christ and still have temptations. Now let me qualify this. There is not a Christian on the planet who has never experienced a temptation. I'm requiring y'all to think this morning, and some of you, I don't know how it's going over. You were probably not a Christian if you've never had a temptation to sin, because what that probably means is that you live in sin, so you're not tempted to do it, because that's the way you roll. But the difference is, and mark this in your Bibles, it is a beautiful picture of grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. The Bible says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You say, Jeff, set free from what? Go back to verse 9. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That means that when you get saved, it could be that you have a temptation. A bird flying over your head. But praise God, if you have been a very promiscuous, if you've been straight, you're a straight girl, you're a straight guy, but then you came to Jesus Christ and He saved you, you may have the temptation to say, oh, that's a good looking person, but the Spirit of God comes to your heart and says, you can't do that anymore. I've saved you from it. And you say, thank you, Jesus, you're free. But it doesn't mean 
that you'll never be tempted. The difference is if you've been saved, Jesus will give you victory over those temptations. And possibly the biggest question in church next to is homosexuality is sin is this. Is homosexuality a worse sin than other sins? Number one, this is not in your notes. We couldn't pack any more in there. All right. Number one, all sins are immoral. Every sin. Did you see how Paul presented that? He's got sexually immoral idolaters, adulterers. Boom. In the middle, homosexuality. Let's not stop there. Uh, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, inherit the kingdom of God. So by the way, if you're here and you refuse to get help with your drinking, you're in the same class as according to God as homosexuals and as sexually immoral. And if you say, well, I'm straight, but I'm going to try to, to, to spread my wild oats, but I'm sure not gay. Well, the Bible just associated you with every dirty deed in the book. So have a good time until you repent. Don't ever think that because you don't do that sin, that therefore you're a better class of sinner. And may it be that all of us, when we read these texts, and I'm, t- I'm going to be very honest, this is, this is something that, and I, I praise the Lord that I, I've never uh, been tempted with, and I'm not saying that any type of, of humor at all. So I've tried to, to do research and so forth and so on. This is something that I've never had a proclivity towards, so I'm trying to understand it. But I have been tempted to be greedy, to cheat, to be sexually immoral with a woman, to be an idolater of money. So whatever sin you say you don't do, buddy, I love the Bible. It is straight up shotgun approach. It's going to hit us all. But here's the question, number one. All sins are immoral, but secondly, some sins can cause more destruction to the human person than others. For example, this is from a study, um, a psychiatrist named uh, Jeffrey Hanover, and it's a book called Homosexuality and the Politics of Truth. And here's the facts, especially for males. Number one, if you are an active in the homosexual lifestyle, you will have a 25 to 35 decrease in your life expectancy. You will be far more prone to chronic and potential, potentially fatal liver disease. You have a much higher risk for AIDS. You have uh, other things that I'm not, I'm not going to mention this. I think it would be uh, too explicit. But another one will be that you are very susceptible to multiple bowel and other infectious diseases. You have a far more, uh, far higher than usual tendency towards suicide and depression. And in doing research, I had, uh, I've spoken on this subject before, but until I prepared for this message, I did not realize the level of psychological violence that psychiatrists will tell you, especially among men, that happen in a homosexual lifestyle. It is something that would be comparable to, as William Lane Craig says, encouraging someone to start chain-smoking or straight-lining heroin. It will reduce the lifespan considerably. And here's the thing. I want to, to take a step outside the preacher box and maybe talk to my secular friends here this morning or if you're listening to this on, on our website or the podcast even if you don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God or that Jesus came to die for our sins, just from simply a medical perspective, all right? We're not saying we deny the Bible. We're just talking in secular terms. Just from simply a medical perspective, 
May God have mercy on us if we condone a lifestyle for men that is guaranteed almost across the board to reduce the lifespan by 25 to 35 years. And most of those 25 to 35 years, and this is as much in detail as I'm going to go because of the group that we have here today. The human body was not designed for those acts. When those acts are committed, it raises the level of all sorts of physical damage immensely. So just from a medical perspective, we as followers of Jesus Jesus Christ should try to help people come out of that lifestyle, not stand back and say, well, if that's what makes you happy, you should go for it. Not only is there physical trauma in that lifestyle, but there is often a a past of sexual abuse and then being molested themselves. Second to that, there is, especially among men who engage in the homosexual lifestyle, there is almost always an absent and or abusive father. They're looking for male uh, companionship, a man to support them, to, 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 to give them some type of love and affection, and they think that they find that within the homosexual community, and they should find that through godly men building them up through the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Say, well, Jeff, how should we as Christians deal with this? Jeff, I've got someone in my family or someone, a co-worker, a friend of mine, and I just don't know how to talk to them about it. What should I do? Number one, don't characterize them. Gay jokes should never exit the lips of a Christian to where we're denigrating them and we are putting them in front of a group or to them just making jokes about a lifestyle that is so, that is so destructive. Secondly, when you talk to them about Jesus Christ, use the Ten Commandments in the law because what that will do is it neutralizes the argument that says, well, I was born this way. This is my sexual orientation. Here's what we say if someone uses that argument. We say, you know what? I was born with a sin nature too. Guess what I was born to do naturally? I was born with the, with the tendency, with the proclivity to lie when it benefits Jeff, to steal when it benefits Jeff. I was born with the tendency to be very promiscuous. I mean, how many straight men, and we're not going to have a raising of hands, are not their natural sinful desire is to try to be with every good-looking woman they could find. If it were not for the grace of God, that would be the story of all men everywhere. I was born with a desire to be greedy. I was born with a desire always to be right. I was born with a desire to be prideful. And we can say, just because you have that proclivity, that tendency, you may not know where it comes from. It doesn't mean you have to go down that road because, let's step to the side. Say, look, even if you were straight, let me talk to you about what Jesus says. Have you ever told a lie? No. They're being honest, right? The people that are really dishonest are the ones who say, I never lie, right? Politicians, trust me. What version of snake oil are you selling? But anyway, well, yes. Well, what what would God consider you to be? Well, I would have to be a liar. Have you ever have you ever used God's name in vain? The third commandment says, "Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain." Well, I, I say GD or Jesus Christ when I get mad. Sometimes I know I shouldn't do that, but I have. Okay, all right. And I've done that too. Before Christ changed my life, and you can say, well, have you ever stolen anything? Well, you know, I've, I've had my share of illegal downloads and taking this stuff. That's a big thing with students, right? Like downloading everything illegally. But it's still on the shelf. 
Alright. Go for it, logic man. Right? You go through all of the Ten Commandments and show them, despite their sexual preference, that if they stood before God, they would be a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, an idolater. And that way, you don't even have to get into the nitty-gritty of, oh, is I born this way? That way you can help them see their need for Jesus without stepping into the minefield. But what we've gone through here this morning will hopefully help you navigate them through that minefield if you even have to go there. Number three. Be prepared to provide biblical help. You have on your outline an incredible ministry called ExodusInternational.org. ExodusInternational.org. This is a gospel-believing, Jesus-loving, evangelical group who helps people not only come to Christ who are in the homosexual lifestyle, but they help them step by step. Many times for the men, they have to retrain the way that they walk. They have to retrain the way that they think. They are there, and many of them are former homosexuals, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And they're helping people come out of that lifestyle. There are churches in this area, you can go look it up online, who have support groups that they can meet in. Someone who comes out of that lifestyle, say, I want to follow Jesus. They can get plugged up and they can get help. But most of all, Our desire, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, is to always teach the truth in love. Are homosexual acts sin? Yes, they are. Can Jesus save someone who is addicted to that life-damaging type of lifestyle? Yes, He can. And if you are here today, straight, homosexual, bisexual, whatever you have it, know that Jesus is a mighty Savior and He can save anyone and everyone who comes to Him in brokenness and humility. And not only that, He can change your desires and He can give you a new heart and a new life with Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you all believe that? Jesus Christ can save anyone. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as this is our time of commitment. I want to talk to our Christians. You're a Christian. You, you study your Bible. You love the Lord. You pray for people. But to this point, you've had nothing but disgust for homosexuals. And you know that it's still wrong. You know you're not going to compromise. But you know that you need to have God develop a love in your heart to pray for their salvation. Up to this point, you may have been biblically correct, but spiritually cold. Repent of that. And say, God, help me to pray for these people. And there may be someone who is listening to this and and you are struggling with homosexual attraction. You may be tempted to get into that lifestyle. You may be already in it. But you know that it's wrong. You don't want to go down that path. You know that you should follow Christ. Right now, there's never been a time where you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Say, Jesus, take this desire from me. Say, God, would you save me from these these things, these these claws of the enemy? You seem to come up, and I don't know where they come from. God, please break the chain. Help me, God. 
Just ask the Lord. Just right there in your pew where you're sitting. Say, Jesus, please save me. Change me. And then to the rest, whatever your sexual orientation is, whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed. And you know that when we read that passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you may not have been the homosexual, you may not have been this one, but something hits you. You know that you need Jesus today. You know that you need to be saved. Right now, ask Him to change your life. Give Him control of your heart and your mind and everything and say, Jesus, I'm giving it all to you. We're going to ask everyone and anyone who's willing to make a commitment for Christ to say, today is my day to step forward and be counted among the followers of Jesus Christ. I'm ready to follow Him. I'm willing to be baptized. I am ready.